Well, I'm before I get into this. You know, you can go through history. You can go through history and find where every false doctrine ever started. Every single one of them. You can find where Arminianism started. You can find where Jehovah Witnesses started. Uh, you can find where uh, what's that? Uh, Russellites. Uh, you can start find out when tongue speaking got to be a big deal. Pentecostalism started. You can find out where baptism began to be priests for salvation. You can go through history and find the person. And the, that started it. But if you know the gospel of the grace of God, if you know salvation's in Christ and Christ alone, you can't find that in history. You can only find that in the Bible. <laughs> you know who started, you know they say, well, Christ started Christianity. Christianity is not even a religion. Christ, you know, this is the thing. Christ did not start a new religion. Everybody else, Buddha started a religion. Mohammed started a religion. Christ started life. Life comes from Christ. Christ is our life. I didn't I didn't get into a religious organization. I was put in Christ. I'm not interested in nominations. I'm interested in knowing Christ. Then where do you find that at? The only place you can go is in God's blessed book. Well, got a little history lesson. <laughs> you can even go to the we find out when the Reformation started. And there's so many things you go through history and say, well, that started right there. But when we go to the Bible and the gospel we preach, we go to the Scripture. And that's one thing that I was so thankful for when I met these men who preached the gospel and preached grace. They say, bring your Bibles and you follow along and you check up on me to see whether I'm saying what the Scripture says. Huh? That's a good thing to do, ain't it? It's a good thing to do. All right, I'm going to start tonight on the seven churches and deal with just Ephesus this evening. Just with Ephesus. It says there in verse 1, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. You know, our Lord told him to write. He told him, I'm Alpha and Omega, and what you see right under the seven churches, which be in Asia. Now, Asia was at this particular time, eastern, what we know now as, as uh, Turkey, in the eastern part of Turkey. And that's where it does. And this, these seven letters, as you go through these seven letters, there's a pattern in, in all of them. There's a pattern in them. First of all, you have a salutation. He always says to the angel of the church, whether it's in Smyrna or Pergasus, uh, 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 Sardis, wherever it's at. He always says, unto the angel of the church. Unto the angel of the church. And then the second thing he does, he identifies himself. 
by a certain designation. In this particular one, he identifies himself as the thing, he that holdeth seven stars in his right hand and who walks in the midst of the golden candlesticks. He always identifies himself by something different in every one of these churches. Look what he's down in verse 8. Look what he said about himself. And here's the salutation again. And under the angel of the church in Smyrna, write. Now look how he identifies himself here. Saith the first and the last which was dead and is alive. So every time he says something to these churches, he sets himself with a different designation. Look down verse 12. I'll just give you an illustration here now. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things says he which has... Now listen to how he identifies himself here. That hath a sharp sword with two edges. So every one of these churches, when he gets to them, he identifies himself differently to every church. To every one of them. And you know, and, that, and, and when all the things that were said about him in Revelations 1, he identifies himself with some aspect of how he identified himself in Revelations chapter 1. And so we see that this book really is about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he identifies himself to this church and he says, I am he that holds the seven golden candlesticks in my right hand and I walk in the midst of the candlesticks. And then he commends them. He commends them. He always says, now look what he said here in verse 2. <clears throat> I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. And thou canst not bear them which are evil and hast them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars. And he always has a condemnation for all the churches except two. There's two churches that he finds no fault in whatsoever. That's Sardis and Smyrna, excuse me, Smyrna and Philadelphia. The rest of them he finds fault with. And so he commends them. He starts out with a great commendation here. He says, oh my, you know, listen, I know your works. I know your toil. I know your patience. But then he has something against them. And look what he says now there in verse 4. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Just somewhat. Because thou hast left thy first love. So you know, he goes and says, I find somewhat against you. Like I said, the only two churches he does in is Smyrna and Philadelphia. And then he always gives a warning and he gives a threat. And he says down here in verse 5, yeah, he said there in verse 5, remember when you're fallen. Now that's a warning. That's a warning. And I'll come and take out the candlestick, remove it. Except you repent. He gives a warning and a threat. And then look, he gives them an exhortation when he gets down to the end in dealing with these churches. In verse 7 he says this, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And you know we pray that way. We pray, Lord, not only bless the word, but bless the ear to hear. Bless the ear to hear. So the ears he's talking about is not the physical ears, though we have to hear through them, but those spiritual ears that he gives us to understand what he says. Because he says what the Spirit says. Not what the preacher says, what the Spirit says. To him will I, him that overcometh will I get to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst 
of the paradise of God. And I tell you what, he says, Him that overcomes, him that overcomes. And our Lord, like I said, he finds something to commend every church except one. You know what church he didn't find nothing to commend them about? Not one thing that he commend them about. Laodicea. He never said one good thing about Laodicea. He said, I'll tell you what you all folks are like. He said, you're rich and increased with goods. And you don't have a clue what's going on in your heart and lives. And so no condemnation to the Laodicean church. And some think that these seven churches, that these seven churches that we're dealing with here, describe seven successive periods of church history. And there's some Bibles, there's some Bibles that you can buy that teaches that thing. They say that the seven successive uh, 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 periods of church history here, that there was that Ephesus was one point of church history, Smyrna, you go a few hundred years, and there's a successive period of church history. You know, he told Sardis, he said there in Sardis, you know, thou art, thou art dead. He told him, you are dead, there in chapter 3 and verse 1. I know that thou sayest that you live, but you are dead, that you're dead. But these epistles, these seven epistles, these seven churches, and these, these letters were to be sent among each church, sent around and let everybody read them. Remember I showed you that here a few weeks ago? How that they take these letters and say, you take that over there and you read it over there and I want you to be sure and send it to that church and this church. So he says, you send them letters to the churches where they can be read by everybody and have somebody read them. But these, these epistles describe and describe conditions. These letters that goes to these seven churches describe conditions that occur not in one particular age of church history, but it occurs over and over and over again. Now there's times when we will identify with all these churches except maybe the Laodicean church. There's times that we all identify with every one of these churches and every church goes through things. And there are churches that cease to exist because they just dwindle away and go till there's nobody left to attend. And they just dwindle away. Dwindle away. And like you take this letter to Ephesus. Every one of these churches, I mean, I'm telling you that this is, these are things that happen over and over and over again. It's not periods of church history. So let's look at this letter to Ephesus. Now Ephesus was a wealthy, prosperous city. And it was famous, famous for its shrine to Diana. Its shrine to Diana, Ephesus. And then Paul, you know, keep revelations. Look over here in Acts 19. Look in Acts 19. You know, Ephesus was a very wealthy city, and Paul, Paul was in Ephesus for three years. Spent three years in Ephesus. And it was famous for a shrine to Diana. And you know, they had a real, real uproar over account of what Paul was preaching. And Paul is at Ephesus and he's getting ready to leave. 
that he came there and when he first got there this is what they said I said Revelations 19 I mean 20 okay I get back over here where I'm supposed to be and for a certain man named Demetrius a silversmith which made silver shrines for Diana brought no small gain unto the craftsmen whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation said sirs you know that by this craft we have our wealth making shrines making shrines like like making uh, uh, crucifixes to hang on you all same thing moreover you see in here that not alone at Ephesus but almost throughout all Asia this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people saying that there be no gods which are made with hands <laughs> we're making gods with hands he's really telling you he's going to mess us up but oh listen to he says he says that he preaches that there's no gods which are made with hands so that not only this our craft is in danger to be set at naught but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed whom all Asia and the world worshipeth and when they heard these sayings they were full of wrath and cried out saying great is Diana of the Ephesians and then they had to go and arrest a bunch of people but anyway that, this, is, this is what they, this was the, well known for their wealth and this great temple of Diana Paul spent three years in Ephesus and God greatly greatly blessed his work there in fact John was at Ephesus when they exiled him to Patmos so this place was very very dear to him and then our Lord he calls himself he that holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks in the midst of these seven golden candlesticks walks in the middle of all of his churches and these stars he done told us what these stars mean they're the preachers they're the ministers those that's called of God and the churches Christ's true ambassadors and Ephesus here they had false apostles that's what he said there in verse 2 thou hast them which say they are apostles and are not so they had false apostles there and so here we go and our Lord lets them know that the one that exalted in glory the one that sits at the right hand of God knows what happens in all the churches and he holds them in his hand he holds the preachers in his hands and he holds the churches in his hands and he walks among his churches we, how many times have we said Lord you said that if there were two or three gathered together in your name you'd be in the midst and here he's telling us that I am walking among you I'm walking among you and I'm certainly thankful that he does that I'm certainly thankful and then he begins to praise Ephesus oh he begins to praise them and you know our Lord our Lord I mean he 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 praises people I mean he had commended people you know he did he, he said he never he, he told that one man you know just send your word on he said I've not seen so great faith no not in all of Israel and then one time he was angry at them for the hardness of heart and their unbelief so he could praise people and then he could condemn people but here he praises Ephesus he was a true light is a true lampstand the light of Christ was there in this particular work 
And our master, he begins to commend them here. He begins to praise them. He said, I know your works. I know them. I know the works that you do. I know them. And I know your labor. I see your labor. And your patience. And how you cannot bear them which are evil. Christ praised them for their intolerance. Praised them. Oh, you can't bear them which are evil. You just can't do it. You can't bear anything that's false. You can't bear sin coming in. You can't bear evil. And then look what he says. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and found liars. He praised them for their intolerance. And you got great works and you hate evil. You don't want evil. You hate... You know, Spurgeon's got a message on you. If you love the true, you have to hate the false. You can't love you can't you can't love the truth and then turn around and love false booth. It can't be done. And if you love truth, then you cannot go with the false. And that's what he's saying here. He tried the, he said, You tried those who call themselves apostles. They say they're apostles. And they rejected them. They said, Oh no, you're not apostles. What how did they reject them? Because they found them to be liars. How did they find them out to be liars? Well, they found them out that they weren't apostles. Apostles had great abilities, great gifts, and great able to do great things. And he found out that they were liars. First of all, they lied about being apostles. And they rejected them. Then they found them to be liars. What was they lying about? What they said, what came out of their mouth. Their message was a lie. Everything they said was a lie. And they lied about what they said and the message that they said. Oh my, they couldn't stand that message. They didn't like it. They didn't like You know, John said this, Try the spirits, whether they be of God or not. And over here in Acts 20, let me show you something. I think it's Acts 20 I want to look at. Yeah. Paul's getting ready to leave Ephesus. And look what he warns them about. He told them, I've not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Now he's leaving Ephesus and he goes all the elders together and he says this. Take heed therefore unto yourselves... And to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Oh, take care of them. Oversee them. And then he goes on and gives them a great, great warning. For I know this, there's not a doubt about it, that after my departing, after I leave, shall grievous wolves enter in among you, and, and, and men shall arise, and, and it shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples to themselves. I was, I was telling Shirley here a while back, I was, I've been in a couple of black churches. And, uh, and when they get up to introduce everybody, they say, Well, first to the apostles. We welcome the apostles. We welcome the prophets. 
We welcome the ministers. We welcome the ushers. We welcome the preachers. I mean, they go through a whole list. We welcome our mission. They go through a whole list of things about that long. We're glad to have the apostles and the prophets, you know. And I've seen that happen a couple of times. How would you like to be called an apostle? You know, he said, they they say they're apostles, but they're lying. Paul told him, he says, you know, they're deceitful workers, false apostles. And that's nothing strange, for Satan himself is transformed into a late angel of light for him to make himself false apostles and deceitful workers. And they, you know, and they look after their works of righteousness. And I tell you what, there's lots of people out there, you know, that, that, that claim to be lots of things. Lots of things. And they, he said, you're liars, you're a liar, you're a liar. I tell you, there's lots of lies being told on God. Lots of lies being told on Christ. Lots of lies. Lots of lies. And then look what he said in verse 3. And he says, you've borne. You've carried. You've had this burden on your back. You've borne and has patience. Has patience. And why, why did you have patience? For my name's sake. Because of me. Because of my name. My name's sake. And you've labored. And you've not fainted. Huh? You've not grown weary in well-doing. You've not fainted. You've labored and labored and labored and you've done it for my sake and you've done it for Christ's glory and for the reason that you know me and love me and care for me and you labor in my name and for my name's sake. You haven't fainted. You haven't, you haven't got to the place where you say, I just cannot take it anymore. I can't deal with it. I'm too weary. I'm too tired. I just can't go on. No, no. You haven't fainted. You haven't fainted. Hebrews 12 says this. I can show it to you, but it says, Consider him who endures such a contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. When you start considering Christ and what he went through and what he did and who he did it for and why he did it, and you start considering him, and here it says, who endured the contradiction of sinners against himself. When our Lord was on that cross, sinners that crucified him and gathered around him, he turned around and saved multitudes of them. He come to save sinners, and then sinners turned around and crucified him. And if I would have been there, you say, I wouldn't have, I would have been one of the loudest crying out, crucifying, crucifying, crucifying. You think you would have been any different? No. But you consider how sinners, he come to save sinners. He come to die for sinners. He come to shed his blood for sinners. And then sinners turned around and crucified him and mocked him and ridiculed him and despised him and rejected him and spit on him. And he said, you consider him. About time you think you're about ready to quit. About time you think you're getting too, 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 you don't want to bear it anymore. Don't want to bear your cross anymore. Don't want to get weary in your ways of going on. He said, you look at him and consider what he went through. Lest you be wearied 
and paint in your mind. You start considering. That's what our Lord said. You've done this for my name's sake. You've borne and had patience for because of me. Not only because for my name's sake, but because I gave you the grace and the power to do it. And then look what he said. And you've had patience. You've had patience. Patience, patience. Now when we talk, when the Bible talks about patience, it's not talking about like you waiting at the doctor's office and being patient. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about living. Living in this world. And whenever you have suffering, suffering going on in your mind, in your heart, in your body, in your life, in your children, when you got when you're suffering, sickness or affliction or burdens, when you're suffering, we need patience. We need patience to go through that. Huh? Our Lord said, in your patience possess you your souls. And we need waiting patience. Lord said, wait. I say, wait on the Lord. We need waiting patience. We need waiting patience. You know, whenever the, here we are, this building and all these empty pews here, and we're here tonight, we got to have waiting patience for God to bring people in. Waiting patience. Waiting patience on people. Waiting patience on God. Waiting patience on our, waiting for ourselves. And then we need living patience. You got to go out in the world and you got to work and you got to go on the job and you got to hear things that you don't like to hear. You got to put up with things you don't like to put up with. And it takes patience sometimes just to live. Just to put up with what life throws at you. And I'll tell you what your own heart throws at you. And we need to do it for why? For Christ's sake. For Christ's sake. And then look what he says here. He says there in verse verse 4. Nevertheless, I've said all these wonderful things about him. Nevertheless, I've got something against you. He didn't say, i got a lot of things against you. I said, I have somewhat against thee. I've got something against you. Huh? What is it, Lord? What have we done? What have we done? I've got something against you. What is it, Lord? Because thou hast left thy first love. Uh-huh. You know, there's several things we need to be very careful about. That's becoming mechanical. You know, just just have no emotion. Just go through the motions. Just uh, taking for granted, presuming, presuming. You know, I. I I told Shirley before coming, I said, Boy, I said, I, I, you, ne- you just never get over with this thing of knowing that you've got to get up and deal with God's Word. You just don't get over it. Do you know what it's like to get up here without God? Do you have any idea what it's like to get up here without the Lord? Some of you get up here and read the Scriptures and how do you feel? Tough, ain't it? But i tell you what, and that's what he's talking about. Just don't presume. Yeah, God's going to be... He promised to be with us. Well, 
Sometimes he leaves us to ourselves and let's see let's see how let's see how let's just see how much faith you got. Let's see how much patience you got. Let's see how how mechanical you are. Let's see. Let's just see how strong you really are on your own. Oh my. I've got accusation against you. You've left your first love. And here's one thing that I believe that we should never do. Never do. And I've always, people, I've heard preachers and say talking about, it's your duty to do this. It's your duty to do that. I don't regard anything that I do as a believer, as a duty. It's not my duty to be up here preaching. It's not my duty to study the Bible. It's not my duty to get outlines. It's not my duty to do that. It's my blessing. It's my privilege. And everything we do is not a duty. It's not a burden. It's not a heaviness. It's it's a privilege and a blessing. And it's a privilege to be here. It's a privilege to read this Bible. It's a privilege to get up here with the Lord's people. I just despise that idea of duty. I just despise it. You know what duties are? You go somewhere and they say, this pay your duty tax, that's your taxes. <laughs> we don't do nothing out of duty. And look at all that our Lord said, look at all that they did right. And then he comes in and said, I've got somewhat against you. Look what he did. He said, because you left your first love. But then he look what he says. Now remember. I want you to remember something here. Remember this. Remember where you fall. Remember when you fail. Oh my. Fail. When he talks about losing your first love, what he's talking about here is a loss of affection. See, he knows where we are. He knows what we are. He knows our hearts and the condition of our hearts better than we know ourselves. And he says, now you've fallen away. You've, you've, you've lost your affection for me that you've had. He said, I want you to repent of this. And that word repent, that word repent means return. A change of mind. Change of mind. I've, oh, return. Go back to where you fell. Go back to where you lost your love. Now what in what kind of things will cause us to lose our love for Christ? Or lose our, our affection for Christ? What would do that? Well, the world will do it. Getting interested in getting things will do it. Materialism will do it. Being concerned with what you can attain in life being taken up with something else besides Christ but our Lord says repent go back go back there's not a woman in this building tonight that's been married or is married that they don't sometimes think my husband don't show me enough affection don't show me enough love well, that's what our Lord's saying. That's what our Lord's saying. Your heart's got a little cold toward me. I don't like that. I don't like that when your heart gets cold toward me. I don't like it when you love something. You let something come 
and interfere with your affection for me. I don't like that. That's what he's telling us. And he says, repent, return, or else look what he says. Or else I will come unto thee quickly. I'll come fast and remove thy candlestick. I'll take the light. I'll take the light out of here. I'll leave you sitting in darkness. Uh-huh. Then he comes, turns around, and he praises them again. He prays. You know, in Ephesus, no longer even exists as a church. But never admit he resumes his praise for them. He said, But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, what is the Nicolaitans? Nicolaitans. Nicolaitans. What are they? Well, our Lord says, You hate them, and I hate them. Whoever they were, whatever they were, Christ hated them. And from what I understand about them, they were a group of people that were very, very immoral and idolaters. They would go to these heathen banquets where they would have banquets and feasts for heathen gods, like, say, Diana. They'd have a great feast to these heathen gods. And these people would look at them and say, We hate, we hate the way you are. We hate what you do. We hate what you stand for. And they'd try to justify their their sinful ways. And our Lord praises them for hating them. And what they'd done was they'd turned the grace of God into lasciviousness. And he says, You hate them, and I hate them. And then he says there, He that hath ear, he that hath an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit saith unto the churches. Oh, I love this right here. To him that overcometh. Him that overcometh. You see, that's one thing in the Bible. You have all these promises on one side and these warnings on the other. You on one side you got nothing but promises, and over here you got these warnings, and they keep us rat centered. You know, we got to trust Christ. Because we don't want to go that way. And we, you know, we don't go presumptuous. So we've got all these promises and all these warnings. And he says this, To him that overcometh, I'll give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. You know why God drove Adam out of the Garden of Eden? He said, Lest he take of the tree of life and live forever. So he drove him out so he couldn't eat that tree of life. Adam, you, you don't get to eat the tree of life. But our Lord said, I'm going to let you have a bite of it. <laughs> You're going to get to eat off of it. You're going to get to eat off of it. You're going to get to eat off of it. Is there any danger that one who Christ died for will not overcome? Huh? Will not overcome? Oh, Lord Jesus, our Lord Jesus, our blessed Master our great God and our Savior, our blessed hope, the very lover of our souls, we come to praise you and thank you that you let us have another evening, another service, another time to be with your saints, to be with your people, to open your precious word. And Lord, in spite of Myself. But Lord, make the word profitable. Make it effectual. 
Make it edifying. Make it a blessing. As only you can do. For Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. Let's uh, sing 303 in the hymn book. 303. And then after that you'll be at liberty to go. 303. Let's stand together. Three oh three.